<laughs> we did an intro. That was too oh funny. God. That was awesome. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so welcome to the Y debate again this week. Um, this is where we're selfishly educating ourselves to understand a lot of I was gonna say life's philosophies. What's the word? Is it is that that's the wrong word, isn't it? Questions. Questions. Yeah, questions. Things that let's go with it. Figuring out the why, okay, in in in, in, in certain books, why they stick, why people adopt what's inside them, why people decide that, um, or, or why people can't get enough of them. Um, so we're selfishly doing this every single week, um, and we obviously want people to join in, help us, and so on and so forth. This week, the book, um, I'll let you do a brief intro to the book in a minute, but I want to just say one thing. This week's book, I've read it twice. I've been on Ego is the Enemy. Yes, we've got the blue copy in the corner. Corner there and we've got the red copy on Callum's desk um I think it's one of my top five books of all time I think with influence persuasion and a, a book called simplify from Richard Koch and then um I've got to say expert secrets from Russell Brunson and this they're my top five books of all time I think and this is he's brilliant ego is the enemy got me thinking so much it's it's, it's fucking brilliant yeah it's a wicked book really enjoyed it um so do, yeah not oh yeah well i might as well just intro it now let's do it so yeah uh ego is the enemy uh written by ryan holiday uh who does uh the daily stoic and stuff like that he uh yeah he's he's written a, a number of books like um the obstacle is the way uh obviously ego is the enemy uh stillness is the key i think is another one so it's one, one in a series of those books he um is he comes at things from a stoic perspective because he is a uh, a follower of the stoic philosophy uh he's kind of pretty much i would say responsible for bringing back the stoic philosophy into the mainstream it's an ancient greek philosophy probably probably from the east that they they um they assumed from the East and they, uh, yeah, there are some really famous Stoics. Probably the most famous Stoic is Marcus Aurelius. I don't know if you've heard of Marcus Aurelius. Mike? Yep. The, um, yeah, the guy from the movie. Yeah. He's in gladiator. He's the gladiator, old dude in gladiator. Yeah. And he also wrote meditations. Well, he wrote meditations. Read meditations. That actually. Yeah. It's super famous. Um, was his journal and, uh, yeah, so Ryan Holiday is is bringing Stoicism back to the mainstream, which is awesome. Um, he has a lot of Stoic concepts in this book. This book, of course, is all about the ego and uh, why ego is something that is holding us back more than anything external. Uh, ego internally is the biggest problem that we're going to run into. Uh, the book is split into three sections, um, aspire, uh, success, and failure. And that sort of structures the the narrative in a sort of the first part will apply to you as you're striving to get success and how ego can be your enemy there the second part is once you've got success and how ego can be very deadly there too and the third part is failure if you might have failed because of your ego but also failure is is natural so how ego can affect how you respond to failure and how you can bounce back from it so um yeah pretty cool I, I love this book. Really enjoyed it. Um, the way he goes about, they're sort of short, every chapter is like a short essay, isn't it? Like trying to bring his point home. And he uses a 
always uses a, a story to back it up, a real world story with some names that most people would know. There's a few from American sports, which I didn't know. Um, but now I do. So you didn't know oh, what's his name? What was the what was the American footballer at the end called? Oh, Tom Brady, I knew definitely. Oh, right. I was gonna say you have to know who that was because no, but there was like, like yeah, there were a couple of other names, like some of the coaches and stuff. I was like, I don't I don't know who that guy is. American See, football's boring, man. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> it's dull. American sports are dull in general. Sorry. There, I, I said we've it. Just, we've just lost everybody who ever wanted to watch. No, um, I, I agree. American wrestling and American football. Yeah, I love basketball. Uh, but that's Basketball's actually quite exciting. I played basketball in school. I absolutely loved it, and I was short, but I really loved it. I can actually spin a ball on my finger for like forever. And just That's pretty badass. It. Yeah, it's like you know what? When we didn't have playstations as kids, we used to like do shit like that for like three days solid till you figured yeah. it out. So one of those aspire, hoops with a stick. Aspire success failure. I remembered this by want get lose. That was how I remembered it because these just seemed to complicate it. You want it, you get it, you lose it, and it goes around in a big circle, and everybody's always like, what do I want next? What do I want? And then you get it, and then you either lose it, or you don't want it anymore, so then you're trying to get something else, and you're trying to push forward. Um, one of the keys that the girls came up with in the office was why your rival is your reflection. Um, I think that explains it brilliantly. Um, yeah. I think I think a lot of people don't realize it, but yeah, I mean, I know some very, very talented people who've had some amazing opportunities because of their talents and they've never gone anywhere because as soon as they start to become even slightly successful, their ego kind of kicks them in the ass and they think they're better than everybody else and they start treating people like shit and they start uh, acting as though the world owes them a living. And if you used to look back at like, the, the, the times of like the, the, the 11, 1200s, like Genghis Khan and times like that, it doesn't matter how eager they, they used to run around in, in teams of 100,000 people at a time just killing everybody in every single village. Imagine you've got this little egotistical guy who plays his guitar, thinks he's dead cool and charm all the ladies and, and life owes him a living. And then all of a sudden, chop, you're dead. So it kind of shows that, in my yeah. opinion, you don't matter. Do you think that, talking about that, like, obviously, yeah, Genghis Khan, medieval times, like, if you're, there's more, like, sort of, I don't know, avert tyranny, like, like the biggest guy can kind of take what he wants because the law isn't exactly like, so being an egotist is probably going to let put you in quite a lot of trouble. But do you think that um, ego is more of a problem today than it was in the past? I know we all have like a presence, like a, a, a recency bias where we're like, yeah, it must be worse today. Like times are better today I than understand. ever, or like yeah. technology is more advanced today, but do you, what do you think? Like ego, I think, more of a problem today? I think people are pussies now. I think everybody, like like people are brought up and they're just, they're just soft as shit. And I think that, that people are getting softer and softer and softer and people are bitching and moaning and finding reasons to complain. And they feel like they're old, this, this safe living. But if you look throughout history, all the way up to like World War II, it, the world was brutal. It was fucking absolutely brutal. I mean, if you look at even like... It's, it's, it's pretty far away from where we are, but with Russia and Ukraine at the minute, like yeah. that, that for the last fucking thousand years has been the standard in most of Europe um, and most parts of, of, of like Asia and, 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 and Russia and places like that is everybody has just literally been running around on horseback, murdering, killing, pillaging, raping, setting on fire. And then all of a sudden 
we start to think, oh, now we've got an internet and now we've, that, that we're all of a sudden safe and we all of a sudden matter and our feelings are all of a sudden important. And mate, from reading this book, I've, I've got, I've, I've kind of just gone, wow, this, this just shows, I, I think there's a part in it somewhere that mentions about standing on a beach, looking out. Um, and, and I was talking to Lauren in our office the other day about it saying, if you just do that at night and you stand and you look out at the ocean and you look at the size of it and you look at what's going on and you, and you realize that you're just a speck on a ball of dirt, that nothing that we think in our personal lives matters, it really matters at all. And in a hundred years from now, pretty much every single person that's on this planet right now will be dead. Yes. And only very few of us will ever be remembered to it to the degree that we'd want to be which is strange because exactly it doesn't matter but legacy i think is a huge thing that drives ego people just want to be famous all the time everyone wants to be famous and especially now at the moment um there's a concept of the book that we'll probably get into more about um about things that hold you back and he says that there's a concept of the invisible audience like when you're younger, especially when you're a teenager, you know, you, you do something stupid at school and you're like, oh, I don't want to go in the next day. You probably didn't have this problem because you just <laughs> didn't show up. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, so let's say something stupid happens to you, you know, you, you like spill food on yourself or you like try and chat up a girl and you've got like bits in your teeth and they laugh at you. And you're crushed by this audience that they're not even there. You don't show up the next day. You're like, I can't possibly go in and face my peers, but that's just your ego telling you that you're more important than you actually are. People don't care. People aren't watching you. You know, the the invisible audience is something. And and I think what social media has done now uh, has made, has given the invisible, the, the invisible audience is given it a name and a face and kind of is conning you into telling you all of your friends care or all of your friends, all of your friends, acquaintances, online followers or whatever, actually care about what you're doing. You know, the people posting stories with updates about their, their lives and real intimate details that seems a bit strange to share or, you know, doing egotistical stuff like, Hey, look at this or like gym pics and all of this stuff. It's like, people don't really care, but you're conned into thinking that they do. It might even con you into thinking that you care about it. But yeah. all it is is just an ego game, and it's an ego game with a dopamine trick in it, and it just makes you keep going forever. It's really important to remember. I'm I forget all the time um, because yes. social media has made a celebrity of us all, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's, it has. That's kind of everyone's a little bit of a celebrity, and they all feel everybody feels like people give a shit. And 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 you know, I mean, I've I've heard it so many times um, where. It's, Somebody will say to you, and we were friends with somebody in school, and someone will say, oh, have you heard such and such has died? And that's all it is. It's a bit of gossip. Like, or if they shit the pants in the middle of the town centre, would anyone really give a... They would, nobody care, really, really care. It's, it's a bit of gossip, and then it's gone. Um, th- this, I mean, I was looking at a lot of people that I know in a completely different light from reading this book. I, I feel like... I mean, I've put it, it's on the screen there. Um, ego prevents you from improving. Um, but my brother was probably one of the most talented musicians I've ever met. I mean, literally he picked it, he got a guitar for his 16th birthday. Okay. Um, and he sat in his room teaching people. He'd never played any instruments ever in his life. Okay. 
started playing a guitar in his bedroom and within about a week he'd created his first song within about three months he'd created like six or seven songs within a year of picking up his first guitar he was playing in front of a guy called clive black in in, in london at sam studios and they also um were, were, were in with a company called stiff records um he was that talented he went up the, a, a manager from down here took him up to london and said i need you to see this kid he's fucking amazing he was about 17 18 by this time um he played in front of this guy and he's like, right, we've got a flat across the road from the studios in in, in Notting Hill in, in London. Move into that flat and write music. That's what we want you to do. And that's that's how it went. And it went from like all of the, the like we were the poorest, thingiest councillors on the council estate family. And all of a sudden, my brother had just gone bam. And then they're like, right, we're signing you to Stiff Records. Here's a publishing deal. And all of and, and I think the ego from coming from such a low place to going to such a high place kind of broke him a little bit. Um, and it's never really happened. And I think it was ego. I really do. I think like, oh my God, I'm, I'm the chosen one type of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think that's more, do you think that would, that was more effective or or more, um, prevalent with him because he, he had a natural talent and it wasn't something that... that, that you have to work for what you get in life. Uh, he'd never been brought up like understand it like like as as a parent i'm always i was saying to you um, before i always say to cameron 10,000 hours if he complains to me about anything that he's not successful and it's like mate you need to do it for 10,000 hours and then the other week i was talking to him about his crafty and he's like i want to get to a black belt as fast as possible and i was like well you need to do 10,000 hours to come, become an expert in anything and then i got him to break it down with me so i basically said to him look right you do 5 hours a week at crafty now right you do that 50 weeks a year, how many hours a year is that? And then he worked out it was about 250 hours. I was like, so how many years is that going to take you to do 10,000 hours? And he's ticked, he's ticked a break. He's clever than me. And he, t- he turned around and he said, wow, 40 years. I was like, exactly. I said, so if you do 20 hours a week, it's going to take you 10 years. So when you think about it that way, don't worry when you fail. Don't worry when you don't succeed. Don't let it bother you because you understand that the work that's necessary. Now, if my brother had understood the work that's necessary, he might have been like, holy fucking shit, man. I've got a massive opportunity here. I need to now go and do my 10,000 hours as fast as I possibly can. I need to have been doing 40, 60 hours a week, practicing, learning, and do, uh, getting into music. And learn, But he didn't have the right upbringing to tell him that that was the way it was. Um, so I think his ego got carried away. He's like, I'm the chosen one. I've got this so easy. I don't need to work for this. And it didn't. Yeah, it happens and you see it in sport all the time, don't you? Like people take for granted maybe they have early success and then they take for granted that they're just going to keep winning and when you when you attach value to your ability to succeed let's say you you, your personality is the home runs that you hit it is the 30 yard screamers you score it's like that is your personality yeah exactly um show this one Deli Ali brilliant example literally the kid had the world at his feet he was like 21 22 i guess one of the best english football talents everyone's talking about him amazing getting call-ups to the england squad um and then he, he gets an injury or a setback um falls out with a manager or something and he can't get back there because his ego just doesn't let him he he was the golden boy and he couldn't not be the golden boy and still be successful. He'd attached his value to his performances. And when his performances got bad, you can't get out of a slump when your personality yeah. is good performances. And now all he does is play FIFA in his room and he gets he plays in Turkey now, I think. He's still a young man. He's still I think he's still my age. Um 
he's still he got time. Better than everybody. Or he, he thought, thought he was better, he than, everybody. He was better than, than everybody. He got burned for it. And um, his attitude showed that. He got given chances by people and by big names in the sport too. They gave him chances and he just could never take them because his his head wasn't in it after he had that first taste of failure. He wasn't riding that high of success anymore and, and then he couldn't get it back. And I think that's why it's really important to cultivate that relationship with your ego. One of the keys to, 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 to remember then, he's never stopped being a student, um, as we just put on the screen. And I believe that that is the key to everybody's success. Um, I mean, obviously, since since you've met me and we've started working together, um, we purposely do this now, what we're doing to improve our our minds, our, 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 our frame of mind, what we're doing, where we're going to go in life, what we want to achieve. Um, I mean, I'm obviously a lot older than you. I'm, I'm 42 now. I forgot then, but I'm <laughs> still, I still, I still study constantly, diligently. And I try to learn things that I don't know anything about every single week. And the reason I do it is because that I think that's the problem is, is if you're, if your ego tells you you're the best, then you can't really learn from anybody else. The, 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 what, what was the guitarist called that played for one of these big death metal bands? And he got he, he got the job. Yeah, Kirk Hammett, I think. It's Kirk Hammett, what the, the mega what was the band. Metallica. Metallica, and and, and, it's, and it, yeah, it's Dave Mustaine of... was originally in the band, and he yeah. gets kicked out, and he starts Megadeth, and then yes. I think it's Kirk, Kirk Hammett. I guess. Kirk Hammett and he joined, I think it was Metallica. And I think it's Metallica. Straight away, rather than saying to himself, I'm the best in the world, Metallica's took me. I'm this, I've I'm made this. it. He went to Joe Satriani, who was a classical guitar player. And the reason I know about Joe Satriani um, is because my dad loved him. My dad was a guitarist in a band growing up and he, he loved Joe Satriani. Um, yeah. And he actually spent years studying under Joe Satriani. And there's various fighters, I think... Um, not Ken Shamrock. What was the other Shamrock called? Frank. Frank Shamrock. There we go. He was about before the UFC kind of got super famous, but he used to always say to yeah. people, you need somebody that you, who's better than you. You need somebody that you can teach um, and you need somebody that's on your path, on level with you to, to, to work with. Yeah. And, and, and everybody needs that person who's above them. So that, and, and if you think the best and you don't listen to anybody, I guess that's when your ego starts turning you into a toss. Uh, there was a woman said it, actually. <laughs> you see, I go on these rampant things. There was a woman who said it to somebody in the United States, and she turned around and she said to him, you are becoming the person, and it was something to do with the White House, you're becoming the person um, that you are going to be. You're becoming the person you're going to be. And then she said, so right. there's no point in being an asshole. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I was be like, an asshole. Yeah, so I, and it's like, wow, that's absolutely brilliant. But the the bit about the the, the guitarist uh, working with Joe Satriani, and obviously, the rest is history. Um, yeah, I was thinking as well about um, more sort of an, another sort of recent one in sports, and one that you know we've been following. Leon Edwards, the yeah. UFC fighter, becomes the welterweight champion of the world. Flash knockout. He's five probably four rounds down or three rounds down in a five round fight against the pound for pound best fighter in the world in Kamar Usman, amazing wrestler. He's got really great stand up as well. Really well-rounded fighter. Leon Edwards, not known for his wrestling, but is a good striker getting beaten up the entire fight. Looks dejected. He had his head down in his corner and his corner's like giving him the Rocky speech and trying to get him. Even Joe Rogan was slagging him off one at the time. 
Yeah, every, everyone is saying. Yeah, everyone's saying he was beaten, and they were saying that he, um, like he, he. Oh, what was the line that um, one of the guys says? They're like, "Oh, uh, it would be a moral victory now if he reaches the final bell." Like he's yeah. just trying to coast to the final bell for a moral victory that he didn't get finished. And uh, then John Anik, the other commentator, says, "But um, that is not the cloth from which Leon Edwards is cut." And on the drop of from the cloth yeah. that he has cut, he lands a, a head kick out of nowhere and completely starches Kamara Usman. Now, it would be very, very easy to um, be like, yeah, everyone doubted me. I knew I was better than him. I knocked him out. So when they have a rematch, he's like, what, well, you know, I'm, I'm the man. I don't need to learn any more wrestling. I don't need to improve because I'm the champ. I can just take, uh, you know, I can, I can snipe this guy. It's no problem. I just did it. But instead of having that mindset, when the rematch inevitably happens a couple of months later, he is a Leon Edwards is oh, ten times better. He was a ten times better fighter. And did you see his, the movie he was doing? The defensive wrestling move. With, when he just just one tackling hand. one hand, he was forgetting everything else. He was like, you know what, you can do what you want down here. If I can get that one hand and hold it over there, yeah, you can't, you can't take around, me you down. Can't get me down. And that was it. And, yeah. and, and I seen it and I thought, why has nobody else been doing that for years? Yeah, it's genius. So, and to be able to innovate in a sport that there's so many people doing, he's not a wrestler and he's innovating at the top level after becoming champion. It just shows how curiosity and being an internal student is like super valuable, super, super did valuable. See, did you see what he did when he won? You see what he did uh, when, when he won the title? He bought his mum a fucking restaurant, mate, and, and him no mates go around there for dinner and stuff like that. Yeah, they've got a little restaurant that he's bought for his mum in Birmingham. And yeah. she cooks traditional Jamaican uh, food and shit like that in there. That's and wicked. It's like proper guy, man. It's like, well, good for you. Where, Humble guy. Decent, someone who's won, yeah. Um, Humble guy. If he was an egotist, he probably would have lost the rematch. What, so what, so I, I've written some notes here that I keep popping up on the screen. So one was never stop being a student. One of the other ones was... Uh, you're the only, you're not the only person who can do it. So delegate. Now, okay. I've been told a lot throughout life, right? If you want a job doing proper, do it yourself, right? And that's what a lot of people say. If you want a job doing proper, do it yourself. And then you feel you have this stupid feeling that you're the only person that can do it right. So why try and delegate? Why try and get somebody else? And when when I, when I was reading this section of the book, this was kind of one of the things that stuck in my head. It was like, it's so true. Everybody's capable. If you let them cock up a couple of times first, it kind of is that, isn't it? People learn, they don't learn from success. If you tell them exactly how to do it right, they still don't know how to do it. Um, it what you're better off doing is, it's like we, me and you did the uh, website content the other week. You're a much better yeah. writer than me. You understand literature and writing and grammar and all that other stuff that I don't get. But when it came to writing something for a sales page, you obviously had no idea. So I got you to write it first. Then I was like, mm -hmm. right, now look at the structure. This is how it should be. Then you went and fixed the structure. Then it's like, right, now nobody gives a shit about you. And then what you kind of understand from the next one is, oh, shit, right. So when you're copywriting for sales, it's not about you. It's all about how it benefits the individual. I think is, I've not seen the writing yet. We're going to look at it after today, which, which should be good. Um, but I think stuff like that, I think you learn better from failure than you do from success. And that's why delegation is difficult for people because they have to let them fail a few times so they learn. Yeah. And I think that that whole uh, that whole saga, this whole week of me trying to create this website, I've never created a website before in my life, and writing the 
content for it and stuff as well. It's been a really interesting journey whilst reading Ego is the Enemy because I don't have a massive ego about my writing in the traditional sense of the word ego, which is, you know, uh, I think I'm great. I'm, I'm a great writer. I've got a degree in it. I can write, yeah, sales copy, easy, man. I can do whatever. Like, that's not the way that I approach these situations, which is great. However, my ego manifests in a slightly different way, which is something I learned from this book, in that I'm really afraid of getting it wrong. I'm afraid of screwing up. And that is my ego telling me that I'm too good to fail. And it's yep. sneaky, and I didn't know it was doing it. I didn't think it was ego, which is why I wasn't really fighting against it. But I was uh, getting frozen by my fear of messing things up. I was like, ah, oh, you know, that doesn't look how I want it to look, or that doesn't sound how I want it to sound, or that doesn't fit what you'd ask me to do. I was like, ah, oh, there's no way. I can't do it. I'm not, uh, like, the girls probably heard me a thousand times in the office this week being like, I'm not a web designer. I'm not, you know, I can't do this. I've never done this before. I don't know what he wants. And, um, but that wasn't the point. The point was to do it. The point was just to do it because then when I try it again, I do have experience and I can come at it from a different angle and with an improved perspective. And the key to that was just not worrying about it. You know, you, if you think about something too much, I'm an overthinker. Um, I struggle with overthinking. I'm not an overthinker. I do struggle with overthinking though. Um, if you fail or succeed in your own head before you even do something, how can you expect yourself to do it to a, to a good degree? Because you've already, the outcomes, you know, are already happening in your head and it shouldn't be, you shouldn't be obsessed with the outcomes. It should be more the process. And I remember the first time Georgia read my book, um, get rich with digital real estate. And she basically said to me, you know, you've got spelling mistakes in this book. And I was like, yeah, so, and she's like, you know, the font in the book changes halfway through. And I was like, okay, so <laughs> she's like, you're not bothered. And I was like, the information in the book gives the reader exactly what they need. It gives them a step-by-step-by-step-by-step. By step by step by step. I've not filled it with any bullshit, no fluff. And I never finished school. So how the book am I supposed to know how to spell properly? Like some, some of the things I couldn't, but I think that's, that's one of them things where you have to, you have to not care. You have to actually think to yourself that, it doesn't matter in the big scheme. In fact, focus on what's important, right? If 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 you can figure out how to focus on what is actually important in the world, not not what you're doing right now, but in the actual world, in the grand scheme of things, if you can look at the the, the planet as it is and the people as it is and the animals and everything else that's going on, and and look at if you look at it from a perspective of war, and you realize the atrocities that go on in war and how many people die and how many lives are ruined and how many, but everything that they thought was important a week before war kicks off, they realize all of a sudden is like, none of it even matters. None of it, nothing at all means anything at all. The, the whole point of life, everyone's like, what's the point of life? What The point of life is survival. That is it. You're born and you die and everything else is just in between. It's, it's It doesn't mean yeah. anything. And if you can One. get that into your head, I feel that you wouldn't have an ego. One of my students actually is talking about that war analogy made. Uh, one of my students I teach English to, he's lived in the Czech Republic for a number of years uh, now, but he's originally from Ukraine. And he's uh, 
uh, he's, I'd say he's in his mid thirties. And he uh, said to me, I, I asked him about moving over to the Czech Republic, like why he did it. He did it for the opportunities. His sister had moved there. Um, and uh, he was like, I, I love being closer to my family, but I miss my parents. And that is a, you know, he was always concerned about, you know, the, the sort of duality between making his parents proud by being a lawyer in the Czech Republic, which obviously mm. is a huge achievement. Studying law in a different language is pretty awesome. Um, and not being around for them. So, you know, he loves his parents so much. He wants to make them proud, but he also doesn't want to uh, be far away from them. And he can't really do one without the other. And, and to him, that was a real problem that was sort of always on his mind. And then when the war started, um, he quickly found out that this is something that people don't really think about because we just think about the Russians as using conscription and um, how they, like those young men, uni students and stuff, they're just trying to live their lives and the Russian government are like, no, you have to go fight. You've got to go to Crimea. You have to go to Donbass and you've got to fight for Russia now, even if they don't agree with what's going on. If my student was to go and visit his parents now, he'd be able to enter Ukraine but he wouldn't be allowed to leave because he would have to fight because he's oh, wow. a fighting age because the Ukrainians are also using conscription. So his problem before of being like, oh, you know, like I want to spend more time with my parents, but I want to be successful here. Now he's just like, wow, <laughs> that whole time I could have been, even the little bit I was doing was enough and I should have been happy with seeing them every now and again. And now he can't see them and he has to just worry about them getting bombed out and yeah, had just... he stayed in the Ukraine and he'd worked really hard to become a lawyer and do absolutely everything possible, none of that would have mattered the second the war kicked off, would it? No. No, he would have just been a soldier like everyone else. Money in the bank doesn't matter. What the, all, the, all your achievements don't matter. Your gold plaques, your gold medals, your, it doesn't matter. None yeah. of it. That, 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 and that, and that. And, and if you, I think if you can look at it like that, this book was, has changed my mindset completely. Um it's changed the way I look at not just myself, but how I look at other people and what, what's going on in their lives and, and the, the shit that um, it's made me less bothered about success. It's made me less bothered about, about actually being successful. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I do. And I've said this to you on many occasions. I don't do what I do because I want to make any more money because I don't actually need any more money. I don't care about all, of, but I, I kind of do it because I enjoy it. But it's made me like, like I've said to you recently, I want to start helping local businesses again. I want to start mm -hmm. helping companies again now. Now that the, the money side of the business doesn't matter anymore, we're in the process of building out another agency because you're never going to do huge, huge money with an agency, but you do get to actually give something back to the local community because I've built such a big national company in the locksmithing industry. I know how to do that now for any local business. And I can continue to do this where we sell leads or where we do the software, where we do all the other stuff and continue to make loads of money. But I don't feel that it's, it's, it's that important. The software will stay up to date. People will continue to use it. But I want to build this agency now because I want to start helping local businesses again, which is something that I'd fallen out with because I was more bothered about me, personal, right. getting to where I wanted to go. And now I'm like, it's not and let's let's try and because when i when i was doing it as a locksmith i remember that i was spending 15 pound a click with google because i didn't know how to market my business i didn't know how to get out there i didn't know how to find clients I didn't know how to realize it's 15 quid a click and regularly nearly went out of business on, on 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 lots and lots and lots of occasions now at that point in life when you're at that low point there where you're like shit and i need this or we're gonna run out of money it's very important 
But once you get to a stage where you don't need to think about it that way anymore and you kind of realize, okay, I think it becomes more important to pass it on. Yeah. Would you say that you're not, would you say that you don't care about being successful anymore or that your definition of what successful is has changed? Yeah. I don't think it's as a, it's, it's about the money anymore. Yeah. At all. Uh, that's how I feel as well. A, a similar sort of feeling of, oh, maybe, you know, success. When we think about success, it conjures images in our head of being on stage in front of flashing lights and cameras and everyone looking at you and everyone going, wow, that guy's amazing. And people talking about you and your face and your name in papers and, and being published. But like pe the people in the limelight aren't necessarily having a better time than you out of the limelight and just working hard on what makes you or gives you purpose is like if you work towards your purpose and your your purpose is not now your purpose has changed from something that was i need money to survive your purpose is shifted into i want to help other people or pass my knowledge on or bring yep. other things and i think yeah i think that it naturally will shift over time i think that's um in the story archetypes of like hero of a thousand faces and stuff we've talked about this before we'll go into the book but there's the element of the hero achieves what he wants to he or she wants to achieve with the assistance of the wise man figure yeah. and then the the end of the hero's arc is that they become the wise man figure for the next yep. the internal so, journey and the external journey kind of meet at the end yeah they have an internal and transformation can, and then external transformation and they have they bring the 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 remedy the the anti-venom back to their society and can share it out in in the form of knowledge so i think that's kind of a natural progression that everyone goes through but even for me looking at this looking at the at the book it's um it showed that as well like if i just purposefully work for what i do it doesn't really matter if my name's in the paper or if you know people are talking about you online or even if you know people on your social media are saying hey that guy's great or are envious of you and stuff why would you even why would you want that surely he says in the book like towards the end about about uh love being a really important element of getting rid of or diffusing ego because you only have a limited amount of time and energy and resources to spend on your purpose so why would you want any of that any of the effects of your purpose to be anything other than positive. I, know, I think, and... you know, I've always, I've always looked at ego as status. I kind of always understood it. In fact, in, 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 in one of my books where I talk about status being everything about status, it's like, okay, you might think you have, you've, you've, you don't, you can afford a Ferrari, but you don't drive a Ferrari. Instead you drive a Fiesta. That's also about status. Um, like you buy a Ferrari for status, you buy, um, I mean, I've got expensive watch, is it any different than if I was to go and spend three hundred quid on a on a on a cheap watch? It's not, but it you buy it and it is a status thing because it makes no difference whatsoever. But then also people do things where they purchase less expensive things that they can afford for that actual specific status. And I think I never looked at ego and status as the same thing previously, but it is every decision that people make is based around status, which is based around your ego, which is one of the the key driving forces in modern society. Back in the day it would have been there would have been great direct generals and there would have been leaders but everybody else was well you're not you're not important 
you, 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 you're a man who needs to be used to go to war or not to go to war. But that kind of that, other than that, it was like, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the state, I think I'm, I'm the guy who makes arrows or I'm the good guy who, who hunts or I'm the best hunter in the village. I don't know. Yeah. I actually do think that I think status is a, or our drive towards status and ego. I think we have ego for a reason. I think naturally it's instilled in us through our, our primal instincts to, uh, probably for troop security, like to keep us part of our group. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, yeah, even in the past, I think you'd find people that I think ego would be an issue in, in any way. I think it would be less of an issue in particularly harsh places, I would say. Like I would probably argue that the, the harsher the environment, the less ego becomes a massive Because it's problem. about survival then. Yeah, there's like bigger fish to fry, you know. They say they say that um, I can't remember who said it exactly. It could have been Herodotus, but uh, it could have also been someone else. Um, they say like the ascent towards empire is made in wooden shoes, and the descent is done in silk slippers. So the harder that you know, the, the harder people wearing these horrible, uncomfortable things like discomfort is is taking you all the way to the top of the mountain. And then once you get up there and you go, brilliant, now I can afford all the finery, you slip all the way down the other side in your silk slippers. And that's um, what the whole book is based around. Aspire in your in clogs. You get to the top <laughs> of the mountain success and then you fall down in your silk slippers on the other side. Yeah, don't go hiking in clogs. That is not so <laughs> um, So, I mean, uh, let me pull up another one I was talking about. Because this is this is a note that I've taken from the book. Now we're starting to figure out how to use this. I don't know if anyone's noticed this week. If you look, we've got the wide debate. Actually, one of the girls in the office. In fact, look at the back. You see it? Check it out. Logo on. One of the girls from the office um, very kindly surprised me and Callum yesterday. She phones yes. me up, actually, and says, can you come downstairs a minute? I thought I was in trouble. Um, I wasn't in trouble. <laughs> I was getting a present. <laughs> so, yes, uh, it, that, that, that was a big surprise. Anyway, pride prevents you from listening. This is this one, right? Um, I've noticed it in a lot of people, and I don't realize, because I do a lot of teaching, right? And I, and I have a lot of students, and I have a lot of people that I try to help. And what they'll do is they'll spend two or three weeks looking at what it is that we've been teaching them, and then you'll try to tell them something, like, yeah, it's all right, I know. Yeah, it's all right, I know. And I think that that's the reason I wrote this down. Pride for pre pride prevents you from listening, which is ego. It's your own ego. Like, oh, I already know this. I'm, I'm, I, 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 I learn so fast. I learn so quick. I get to where I'm going so quickly. Have you ever, uh, do you know anyone like this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So many people. I mean, it, the thing with, again, the thing with the book, it made, it's made me, be introspective as well like it's, i'm not just looking at other people around me and being like yeah i i can observe this in other people that that is something that this book is making me do a lot but also in myself like i'm sure there are times that i've done this um and um <laughs> sweet merch look at that buy that merch <laughs> yeah man i don't think we're gonna do that but maybe cheers alex <laughs> <laughs> i don't know maybe i can grab some for I'll get, I'll get merch for Alex. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh gosh. You, um, Jedi mind tricks on me then. I've completely forgotten. I'm just thinking about merch. What was I saying before? Pride prevents you from listening. Yes, indeed. So, um, yeah, jujitsu is a massive thing about that. Like, 
um we all try and help each other on the mats obviously there's only like a couple of instructors um just moved to a bigger gym so there's a lot more space now so we're a bit more spread out uh sometimes only one instructor sometimes two and um you obviously with jujitsu it's very close sometimes you can't really see the intricacies of the move because you're so like you know you're stuck together with another person making contact with them uh, in, in grappling with them so you can't really necessarily see like the minute movements of like oh you know if you flay your elbow out like this when you're doing this move then this is going to help um but you can sort of feel the difference with your with your partner so a lot of the time you can give them tips like yeah the pressure there didn't feel quite right maybe you need to drop your hips a bit lower or something like that now we've got a lot of new people joining the gym um recently because of the expansion and uh it's funny because the people who are newer normally the guys who join jiu-jitsu are they're normally blokes they normally have had some kind of like aggression or aggressive or violent alter altercations in their life some probably half the time by their own making because that's just the way it is and half of the time like me it was kind of an accident um and um you get a good mix of people but a lot of the people there they have like a bit of ego about them because you know we're all wrestling around there's a lot of you know i'm gonna beat you i you know i don't like getting stuck on my back with a big sweaty dude on top of me like cranking my arm or something like that like it's not a pleasant feeling so i can understand why ego gets involved and you give them a you can tell that the new guys i'm just i don't even have any stripes on my white belt i'm you know bottom of the pile i've been doing it for a while but i'm bottom of the pile still and i you know you can give a tip to a new guy and some some of the new guys are like oh brilliant yeah yeah i'll try that i'll try that and then sometimes they're like yeah, yeah yeah i know i know i know all right yeah okay or they just look at you the whole time that you're talking to them like why are you giving me advice you're just a white belt like me you're no better than me and they like they see the that sort of element and it's like well I, i've been doing it a little longer than you there's no physical representation of that i have been unless we roll together and i get the better of you but they're, they're like that but if i was practicing with a blue belt someone that's been doing it even longer than me and they're doing a move and they're like hmm i don't that didn't feel quite right and i say something like yeah maybe maybe it felt a little strange like your grip felt maybe switch your grip on my arm or something that they're going to be way more receptive to that because they they've been doing it for so long that their ego has kind of gone out of that yep. situation totally. and um it's a bit of a paradox in martial arts a lot of the time because you think the more experience that you get the more likely you are to look at someone who's not as good as you and to be like i'm not going to listen to what they say um because in the real world that's probably solid advice a lot of the time it's like you know everyone's got an opinion and you should probably only listen to the ones that matter otherwise you'll go insane and make loads of mistakes but with um martial arts i think the ego gets squashed the higher you go the more time you put in and that's you're more confidence sort of... ego and confidence are kind of the same thing but different there's kind of ego yes. confidence is earned ego isn't it yeah 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 ego is stolen Conf confidence is earned Yes. So, 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 so what you do is as you, as you climb the thing and you've got more experience, you've had more fights, you've battered more people, you've beat up more big guys. It's like, you start to become confident over having an ego of like, I, I remember going right. And to you've my been first... beaten up too, which is really important. Yeah. It's, it's actually good fun to get beat up. When, I, I guess when you've had it done a few times, you kind of, it, it, it doesn't, it's, you realize you're not made out of glass and you're not going to actually break, break. You might end up with a broken bone or two, but it fixes. But I remember yeah. I, I did boxing and kickboxing, but, but, before, like, 
the first time I ever went to an MMA gym, I, I had an ego problem. It had always been stand-up fighting that I'd been interested in and, and I'd always done since I was since I was young. Um, and I remember going to an MMA gym and at the time I was probably about 13, 14 stone. Um, and I remember joining uh, the very first one I ever went to uh, was called Manchester Ground and Pound. Um, and it was no Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I remember... Um, I remember thinking, I'm going to fucking fuck some guys up here, man, thinking I was dead good, right? And I remember the first night there, they they it was it was more about the Brazilian jiu-jitsu than anything else. But then at the end of the night, what they used to do is they'd, they'd give you a minute with every single person um, sparring. So, so you do stand up just hands, then you do um, strike, all striking, so you can use hand and knees and legs, but you couldn't um, do takedowns. And then the final part would be full MMA. And you do a minute with every single person. So most nights it was between eight and ten lads there. You'd end up you'd end up thinking for about half an hour, right? But what 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 um what um ended up doing is what what ended up happening was these these young lads are like 10, 11 stone, right? And I'm talking 19, 20 year olds, right? That were, 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 were probably not even shaving. Um, and I got my ass absolutely kicked. As soon as it went to the ground, to the grappling side of it, I was getting tapped out, I was getting battered, I was getting choked out. And it was like, all of a sudden, it gave me this, for, from being um, a cocky person with a lot of ego, is like, I, I can, I, I'll fight anyone, to this real, to feeling vulnerable. All of a sudden realizing, holy shit, man, there's weapons out there that I don't understand that the, the, these these skinny little guys can kick the shit out of me. And if I met them in a street fight, right, even though I was bigger and stronger than them, if if I didn't get a good smack on their chin early, they would have took me down and beat the living shit out of me. And it, all of a sudden, I, I focused for, for several years then on, Brazil, on no-gi Brazilian jiu-jitsu, training at lots of different places. And the reason I did that is because all of a sudden, I'd gone from being this, this, this cocky, ego-driven... Um, like lads, lad, like, yeah, well, let's go on a beer. We'll all get in a fight at the end of the night and we'll go on with black eyes and stuff like that to the point where it was like, holy fucking shit, you're not quite as thingy as you think you are. You're actually very, very, very vulnerable from somebody. Yeah. Thingies. And it kind of stopped. It got rid of that ego-driven cockiness that was there and made me humble again. And yeah. I, I, feel, I feel I feel, martial arts is brilliant. For, for discipline side of things, Um the, the 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 further you go up the ladder, the more confidence you have because you know walking down the street that ninety nine point nine percent of people haven't got a clue. Yeah, and the very small percentage of of actually knowing anything will help you, and it, and it helps you avoid these issues entirely because you don't feel like you have anything to prove whatsoever. If someone is uh, no high level martial artists are not knobheads in real life; they're absolutely nice. You, you know, usually that as like the the sort of the archetype of the traditional martial artist is someone that doesn't get into those altercations i remember um boxing is um, different yeah i think maybe because of its yeah i don't know maybe because it's not doesn't have the same sort of traditional it does have its own traditional values definitely but i think maybe because it doesn't have a it, it so like when i'm talking about traditional I mean stuff like that has almost like a philosophy attached to it. Yep. Um, I think that helps because I think MMA gets a bit of a bad rap for this. And MMA fighters are like insane and like they're, they're actually quite dangerous and they're almost like a little bit unhinged. I mean, you've got to be a little bit unhinged to do combat sports in general, like to get to walk through the door, getting punched in the face, like, you know, getting punched or strangled or your arms going to get pulled off. 
you've got to be a little bit out there to do something like that in the first place. But I think they get a, a bit of a bad reputation because maybe through mixing all of these arts, they're not necessarily getting the philosophical element of them as much, which I know is a lot of the reason why when ah. I used to train, when I used to train judo and um, karate, I mean, you know, cause, um, cause your lad does karate as well. So yeah. there is like a, there's the kumite element, the fighting element, which is all well and good, but there's also the, the kata element, which is the, it's like karate's version of drilling, essentially, which is the movements, the fundamental movements of the style in a dance-like sequence um, that you almost it, perform. It's got a history based in pride as well. So, like, MMA, you've, you've just hit something there when you said that a minute ago, that there's no... Right, so if somebody learns karate and they go through and they get to, to right, it's not they're learning self-disciplining, they're learning the history, they're learning it's about pride, they're learning it's about about self-control, about having respect, right? Because karate's been built on that for hundreds of years. Whereas MMA, now they're mixing it all together. This was one of the things I noticed doing 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 martial arts growing up, is boxing was filled with thugs, right? And 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 and, and it's because I believe basically it is macho stand up punch who's going to take the most who's not there's a lot of skill involved when you get to, to, to a decent level but boxing in general i found was was filled with thugs and people who do when you spar want to knock your head off whereas when you get into an actual martial arts like brazilian jiu-jitsu or like karate or any of the uh, other martial arts because they've got a history and a tradition and and they're built around something that's got respect attached to it that the it makes a better man out of the people that do it or woman. Um, whereas I, 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 I think boxing makes you fitter and healthier and the guys that do really well and can be actually focused enough to, to go somewhere with it and not drink and eat properly and do the exercise. Yeah. But I don't feel like it's expected in boxing like it is in most of the other martial arts because of the way, yeah. because of the history. You're not necessarily, uh, it's not as obvious. You're not like hit over the head with the, philosophical element of boxing you sort of have to work that out on your own about yeah if i'm the most disciplined guy in the gym and the hardest worker and i'm not the one that is out on the weekend punching people in the face because if i do that i'm going to be doing less time boxing because i'm going to be i'm going to be in jail or i'm going to be under house arrest or i'm going to be you know like i won't be able to come in because of other things or if i break my hand um because that happens you know you're used to punching people with big gloves and then suddenly you get into a an altercation with no gloves and you punch someone in the face and you break your hand what's the what did you get from that now you can't do the thing that you you enjoyed so um yeah i think there is that sort of element to it and i think there is going to be a lot of variety depending on where you're doing boxing as well if you're doing that obviously certain clubs are going to have a different sort of ethos within their within their organization i think that variety might be a bit more i think that they could have more variety in the type of ethos and gym philosophies that you're going to get in boxing because they don't have uh, a style-based philosophy that all karate gyms and all taekwondo gyms and all brazilian jiu-jitsu gym to an to an extent judo gyms especially have you know they don't have like you don't look at one before you do a boxing training you don't go over to a a picture of muhammad ali and and sit there and meditate for a while you don't do it oh. but in judo you do and there's also that bowing and us and you know all of that stuff you, you touch gloves which is kind of a similar 
but it, it's less over. I don't think you need that to have a respectful environment at all. That's not my opinion. But I do think that especially in children, um, it can it can really help with that stuff. And, and it, it might not translate as well to fighting skills because you're spending more time meditating and bowing. And But realistically, most people never get in a fight anyway. So you, nope. you, want, you want martial arts to be a, a um, full spectrum improvement on your life rather than something that only improves you at fighting because very few people get in a fight. So it improves you at your... Yeah, I mean, I've noticed that when my, my lad's been naughty now, I can turn around and tell... Uh, if, if I say to him, I'm going to speak to Pete and tell him that you, you've done this or you've swore at your mum or something, he's never swore at your mum, but if he did, if I was to say to Cameron, I'm going to tell Pete you swore at your mum, he knows he'd go into karate and Pete, and there's a guy called Chris that kind of trains, teaches with him. Yeah. Um, Chris is brilliant. Chris, Chris, Chris is happy to have a word. You know him because you train at the same gym. Uh, yes, Chris will, I know, I know him personally as well. All right. Well, he'd be, he'd be happy to have a word with Cameron from it, and Cameron will yeah. listen because he super respects him. Whereas... He's a fantastic teacher. He trained my dad in the police, funnily enough. Oh yeah, because he was desk sergeant in the police as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was my dad's uh, my dad's instructor in the police. Oh Small wow! World. Right. Okay. So he's so, been a black belt yeah. for a long time then, hasn't he? Because very long time. Now. Very long time. Yeah. Right. You're gonna you're gonna like this next one. I'm gonna put up. Go on. Hit me. You're only as strong as your humility and self-control. Yeah, I wrote I think that. You <laughs> look at you, <laughs> the warrior poet. <laughs> Go on then. I, I, I love it. it. I wrote this one thinking of you because. Yeah, I think I think that we get we can get a little caught up on the concept of strength and how uh, like how we show our strength like. Yeah, oh, he's a really strong guy because his his strength or her strength is um, demonstrated by their ability to dominate others. Yep. You know, like being tyrannical. And I think that that's, yeah, I think that's a mistake. The the greatest, we have great leaders, but we look at them in different ways, right? You look at you look at Chinggis Khan in a very different way than you look at someone like George Washington, for example. Um, yep. And and they did very different things. There was a very different philosophy behind the conflicts that they were fighting in. But I think to the modern person, you can learn a lot more from the George Washington of the world than you can from Genghis Khan. Because even though that's not that's not actually true, but from the the way that we look at Genghis Khan in a general perspective, the things we could learn about Genghis Khan rather than uh, sleep with loads of women destroy villages have no mercy all of that thing the things you could look at instead are um he was willing to learn from the people that he defeated he was one of the only ones who ever did that he, he literally used to take on their learn a lot of what they did yeah. and he also used to steal their engineers and, and and their skill people and take them with him on battles he never built anything even though he beaten them he did yeah even everything he did was built towards becoming a better war machine. I mean, he had a trick that he used to use Genghis Khan um, or Genghis Khan, I don't know how you say it, but he had a trick he used to use that I thought was brilliant, right? And what he used to do is they'd surround people to attack them, right? Mm -hmm. And as they started to defeat them, what he would do is he'd then move his troops out, right? So that there was a gap so there's a big gap of where, and then what he do is he'd start letting Make them escape. So rather than fighting when they're fighting for their lives, trying to save themselves, like they'll do anything. 
they were all started to run. And then what they would do is chase them down whilst they was running. So they're not fighting somebody who's actually firing arrows at them or trying to attack them. They're fighting, they're chasing down. And and so what he'd do is once they got to the point where it's like, okay, we're pretty sure we're going to win here, but we're probably going to lose a few more thousand men doing this, he'd open up the floodgates to let them escape. And then what would happen is everyone would be like, there's a way out. And they'd, they'd all be, obviously, because because fight or flight kicks in, and then he would chase them down. Thinking that some of the stuff he did, That's I find cool. him amazing because of things like that. It's like the strategy behind what he did was was brilliant. Even though he was a brute, he he was he was obviously very intelligent because he took over more of the world than I think, I don't know for definite, but I think than anybody ever has. Yeah, yeah, his, his son's empire was just insane. Was it Jedi or somebody who came after him, which is his son or his grandson? And he 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 split. Once he died, they split the kingdom up between three or four of them. And then there was yeah. a guy. I think it was something like Jedi or something. Jedi. He ended up being the. They called him the Khan, didn't they? Back then, yeah. He ended the up Khans, being the Khan, like the and, and he continued spreading and attacking the rest of Europe and doing. Um, it's cool. Yeah, I, I, I I never used to like history, but I like history when it's to do with war because it makes me remember, like, kind of focus on how brutal history is, and how brutal the past is, and actually understand that everyone nowadays are just soft as shit. Not, like, war not was my entryway to history too. Yeah, I'm not doing that as an insult to people. I'm saying it as as like you're not owed anything from life. You know, you don't just no. because. I mean, I'm sat in a freaking studio here now with like thousands of pounds worth of equipment surrounding me and, and stupid lights and things. And 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 uh, people will do this on a daily basis and moan about the job and think they're stressed out. But can you imagine living in the fields, getting chased by guys with fucking uh, axes and stuff, wanting to chop yeah. you up and kill your family? And <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like... And dying. Stress doesn't exist if you think of it like that. So no, that's kind exactly. of why I watch history from, from that ang- angle. Yeah, talking about history, there was a really interesting uh, story that I... I don't know if he gets mentioned in the book, but uh, I was I started when I started reading it. I was like, "Oh, he's definitely going to mention this guy," but I don't think he did. Um, he mentioned Washington a lot, which is someone who's related to this character, which I thought, which I'll explain. So um, there was this this guy in uh, in Rome called uh, Cincinnatus was his name, and you probably recognize his name because he is. It's the namesake for Cincinnati, the city in America. Um, And uh, he was a senator and he was really good at his job. But his son was a bit of a hooligan, which is a uh, a theme like successful people have can have real crazy kids because because they're spoiled. Yeah. And they're spoiled and they're trying to live up to something that they don't see as being particularly possible to live up to. You know, it happens. Um, happened to Marcus Aurelius too. So, you know, it happens to loads of people. But um, his son was using gangs to inflict political violence against the the plebs, which were like the common people in Rome. And um, uh, because of that, his son was executed. And in sort of like grief and shame, sort of Cincinnatus went off and lived on a farm. And he was like, you know what, I'm done with this. Like, I don't want to be part of this anymore. It's corrupt and horrible and uh, the politics is corrupting everyone and I just want to live on my farm and live out the rest of my days, a, a humble existence. Um, so he was disgraced. And uh, meanwhile, the Ro- Rome were fighting a war. I think it was the Samnite War, but I'm not 100% sure. It doesn't really matter. And the Roman army had been encircled, um, like you were talking about, surrounded by a 
force in the mountains. They were quite close to Rome, but they'd been they'd been encircled and they were in big trouble. They got a messenger back to Rome, and the Senate were like, "We don't know what to do." And everyone, because everyone was so corrupted and fighting for power, they couldn't focus on how to save the army. If the army gets destroyed, that is Rome's kind of wall, their army, and the, the city would fall. So. A group of senators were like, "Look, we can't solve this. We need someone who's detached from the this the politics." So they went out into the countryside, and they were like, "We need to go find Cincinnatus." So uh, they find him plowing his field um, himself, pulling his little plow around, and they're like, "Do you have your senatorial toga? Because you know we want you to come back." And he was like, "Okay. Well, what do you want me to do?" They were like, "Well, we want you to be dictator." So they the story goes that there and then he got his wife to bring him his senatorial toga and they made him dictator literal like the guy in rome like what he says goes he's the dictator he's the king he can do whatever he wants they made him they made him that just in his field he heads back to rome and unclouded by all of this politicking he yeah he basically says all right Anyone of fighting age, meet me in the uh, the field of Mars, which I think is like a big sort of like area in ancient Rome where they could where people could congregate, um, soldiers could congregate. He armed all of his all of the men of fighting age, marched them, uh, led them off into the mountains, saved his own army within however many days, uh, relieved the army. Uh, not only did he relieve the army, he didn't kill the people that had encircled his army. He negotiated their surrender. He made them submit, and eventually they became citizens of the empire. He then marched the army back to um, uh, to Rome, where he was just had a massive ceremony of, oh my god, this guy! It what a yeah. legend! He's come in and saved us. He's an absolute hero. He's like a Roman icon. He did all of this in sixteen days, and on his sixteenth day, when the problem was solved, he said, "Right, well, that's me," and he abdicated, left his senatorial toga, and went back to his fields. Seriously? Yes, gave up, gave up dictatorship of Rome, um, is willingly. It, is, it, is it true that Rome was actually like ruled most of the world for like a thousand years? You know, um, like. Well, this is an interesting thing. I actually wrote this down, um, talking about like how ego gets into societies. We talked about like the silk slippers analogy, and how I think it was like Roman, the way that the Romans looked at philosophy, especially the way they interpreted Greek philosophy like stoicism and stuff i think that's why they managed to just last so long because even like rome as in like the city rome ruled ruled for was the biggest empire on earth for hundreds of years and then we forget that when it fractured half of the empire went to um went to into turkey uh, modern day turkey and became like the eastern roman empire the byzantine empire which was still a thing until like the 1400s or like 1300s or something like that, which is really, or 1200s, I'm not sure, but it, it lasted forever. You think of like the Roman Empire being destroyed like by the barbarians, but it was the, um, yeah, it, it, alive in the East for almost a thousand more years, which is crazy. Try it, try it, try and try and like you, you're, you know a lot more about history than, than, than most, right? Can you think of more than five great Roman leaders? More than five great Roman leaders. Hmm. 
The reason okay. I'm asking you that, right, is you think your average man, like, um, like for example, Alexander the Great died at 32, I think, 32. from memory. Yes. Right. But, but so when you're looking at this, right, and you think, right, so let's say that, let's say it was 500 years, but I, I believe it was about a thousand years that Rome kind of was the was the shit was right up there. But you can't. Most people couldn't name more than five great leaders of Rome, and yet, if people were living between 30 and 50 back then, right, then 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 there must have been minimum 20 if everybody ruled for 50 years each. And yet nobody can name more than five, maybe six great leaders throughout all that time. So what the hell went, who's all, who, who filled in the gaps? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So from, from a mathematical like, perspective, it doesn't make any sense. And that's when I, when I would look at, I'd look at the timescales and the thingies and the amount of people that you look at and it's like, all right, this guy did great. This guy did great. This guy did great. Okay. So let's say that takes a hundred years. What the fuck happened in the other 900 years? <laughs> I think until like, until the absolute political disaster that happened here about, couple of years ago and we ended up with like a, a bunch of prime ministers in really short order i don't think i could have mentioned you five i don't think i could have told you five british prime ministers in fairness no i remember maggie Thatcher was prime minister when i was growing up and she was the first woman and i don't know if she cocked things up or she didn't but i think she was cool i think it depends <laughs> it depends who you ask it depends who she you ask i think yeah she didn't care man she was like fuck you guys um i thought she was brilliant but uh that's a whole nother story right it does um, show got- doesn't it it does just show how uh, your legacy, the thing that, you know, your ego is, oh, I want to be remembered for what I did. Like, yeah, of course, like who doesn't want to leave a legacy? But the thing, even like these amazingly great people like Cincinnati, Cincinnatus, for example, this guy, you, you didn't know who he was. His story is amazing. And, and his story is echoed through George Washington, of course, who, yep. who um, does the same thing as Cincinnatus, prompted by the story of Cincinnatus, which is why the city George is called Washington Cincinnati. Get kicked, kicked out of the government at one point and then he went off to war. Um, then my, I'm not when he was younger, I'm pretty with this sure story. He was, he was in politics. He then, he, he got kicked out of the government for some reason or he resigned. They wanted rid of him. Then I'm sure he went off to war, fought in World War One. I'm assuming it would have been. Am I thinking of a different person? I think you're thinking of a different person. Who am I thinking uh, of then? George, George Washington is the um, I'm thinking first of Winston president. Churchill. Uh, yeah, you are I thinking mixed Winston up. Churchill. That's all right. See, it happens. We won't cut that out. Oh, you can't cut it out. It's live. <laughs> what? Right. Yeah, uh, it's all good. Winston it's all Churchill. good. That's what happened with him. Go on then. What, what, what happened um, to George Washington? So George Washington, he was made uh, president, obviously the first president of the um, of what is now the United States after the Revolutionary War against the British. So they defeat the British in the Revolutionary War. They no longer have a king, so in their place they elect a president because um, that's what how they want to yep. do things. So they get George Washington in because he's like the he was the commander of their army. So he's in he's the commander in chief of all of their armed forces. He has no uh, he has no like mandate from God like kings and queens of the time did, um, which is like you you know you've been selected by God to be the king or queen. Um, and he could have done anything with that army. He could have gone like, right, let's invade Mexico right now. And, and, or right, let's, you know, let's do something else to, yeah, I'm going to make some stupid laws or I'm going to make it that I'm dictator for life. The weirdest part of the George Washington story is they offered him dictator for life, which is crazy because they just fought to get freedom from a dictator for life in, in a king. And many people in his own government were like, you, you could do this for the rest of your life if you wanted. We're not going to take it off you because of what you've won for us. 
And he was like, no. So he did his first term and then a second. He did a, a stint of time. And basically, that's why they have two terms in America, why their presidents can't just stay forever, is because of George Washington. And Unless he was somebody at, who comes across uh, eventually someone like Putin will come along and change all the laws and right. Stick so ego, that, someone with that's mega why ego. Exactly. That's why they've put that law in. That's why that's in their constitution that you can't do any more than those two terms. Cause otherwise you get people who are dictator for life. And that is a massive, massive problem. That's why ty tyrannies go on forever is because the uh, changes in politics often rely on dictators dying and you don't need to do that. No one needs to die if it's just a term. You can just wait two years and they'll be gone. Legally, they have to go. Um, oh, shit, right? Yeah, so like someone like Trump who's got... I mean, I like Trump, but Trump's super ego-driven person. And I yeah. think he would have never left office until he died, so somebody would have killed him. I Whereas, think if he could have changed that law, he would have definitely changed that law. Yeah, I think he would as well. I like him. I think he's funny, me. I, I can watch his speeches all day. There's a lot to learn from somebody like him. Um, what about this one? This is this is the last one I wanted to put up that I, I I written out this morning. Ego feeds failure and crushes success. Right. Okay. It definitely. I think it can definitely have a very negative effect on success because of its. I think because of its just it the way that we talked about not being a student anymore, like thinking that you know, thinking that you know everything. And I think that that's why it crushes success because you can't keep success going. It's not something that you, um, like battling your ego is not something that you do once. And you're like, oh, thank God I got rid of that ego problem. It's like, yep. it's not going to happen unless you get lobotomized or something. You're always going to have like an issue with your, with your ego. You're going to have to fight it. And other times you're going to have to maybe rely on it. You know, like some fighters rely on their ego to keep them, conscious in a fight you know they're just literally their pride is keeping them awake otherwise they'd just be going out and not fighting back anymore and they'd curl up in a ball um so sometimes you know that there's a reason that we have ego but um yeah i think that you can't perpetuate success if you are not learning anymore or you're refusing to diversify because i did it right this time and that's how i'm going to keep keep doing things i think that's why it crushes success and i would assume that is why it would feed failure. I wrote here, if ego defined your rise, then it will guarantee your fall. So if you relied on your ego to get where you are, then 100% ego is going to be the reason that you fail. Um, and the, on the only yeah. people that have ego that stay where they, are people that are born into power. So like, for example, Prince William is going to be, I mean, his dad that already looks like he's he's too old to be the king and he's only just got the job. I think his mum was a bit cruel making him wait to that age. However, uh, but like we've got William who's going to, if he was a complete egomaniac and he was a complete, I mean, he's not, he seems like a really nice guy, but he's not taking charge yet. But I think somebody like him could have ego and could remain in power when he does become king forever because you're born into it. But I think anybody else with serious ego problems and less you're born into it, is going to... What was the woman's name that ended up running the Washington Post after her husband um, shot himself? Good question. I can find her name really fast because I've forgotten it. Catherine something. She, 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 her husband cheated on her loads, did loads of shit, killed himself, and then the people I'm were saying the wrong, the wrong something shot himself. Uh, um, yeah, is it... 
No, that is the Boston Marathon. That is not the right person. Her name, her name was Catherine. What was Rose? Uh, I can't remember. But she inherited the Washington Post from her father when he yes. died. And then what happened is um, her husband was a prick and she let him run it for her and do all that stuff. And he started cheating. And Catherine and Graham. Catherine Graham, that was it. Yeah. So, yep. and then people were saying things in the post like, uh, all the wrong Graham shot themselves and things like that. When her husband yeah. killed himself, she didn't pay any attention. She re bought up all the shares in um, in the Washington Post when people, because she, she actually got young, uh, what's the guy called that, that, that's really, really smart? Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. She got a young Warren Buffett working for her. And what people, what yeah. happened? She is didn't know who it was, though. He was anonymous yeah. the entire time. Yeah. He was investing anonymously. Ah, right. Was it? Yeah, kept it afloat by investing anonymously. And then eventually it's revealed that he's this entrepreneurial genius. Well, basically what happened is she, all the negative press made the Washington Post's um, value look terrible on paper. She knew it wasn't. So she started buying up all the stock herself. um, And I think it was something like 20 or $30 a, a, a share when she bought it. And within 10 years, it was worth like $300. The numbers might be slightly out. But they say she was one of the most successful female CEOs of all time. But then when you look at it properly, she's actually one of the most successful CEOs of all time. And she was born a rich kid. She inherited the Washington Post. She didn't want it and didn't care about it. So she let her husband run it and do what he was supposed to do. No skills. She was called, yeah, when she was called on to actually to, to, to stand up and, and, and pay attention, she, she, she smashed the fucking thing right. She hit a home run. Um, yeah. Because she had yeah, but it wasn't easy. Yeah. But it really was, yeah. But it was a long journey. Like there was a ton of times, like you said, that she could have just gone, yeah, screw this. And because of her background, she would have been, she would have probably been financially safe if she just said, screw it, okay, I'm done. But I guess it was the emotional situation of of it one being a business that she'd inherited, and two being her husband who killed himself. The the emotional thing probably kept her attached to it. And and also, if you have people out there like, you know, like people out there and they're like they're chanting for your blood they want you to fail so bad um part of you you know it kind of does it can make you be like no you know what? i want to prove them wrong um but i don't think she did i think she just wanted to keep the business running i, I, I the way she acted didn't make it seem like she wanted to be anything right. special. i tell you another thing i got from this book that i thought was absolutely awesome right and it kind of hit me like a hammer on the head when i read it it was kind of like what they said, and, and and obviously this, I should know this, but I don't. But he said Malcolm X. It opened up a chapter by saying Malcolm X was a criminal, and I was like, yes. "What the fuck? You can't say that!" Like he's <laughs> one of the greatest. What anyway? And then when you started to read into it, like when he was young, he was the leader of a gang. He read, he he, he ruled with fear. He went to prison. He got a ten-year prison sentence. But rather than when he went into prison, rather than going into prison and becoming like a proper piece of shit, well, like 99.9% of people that do, they get they go worse rather than better. He focused on the library, focused on his education, started to study, figured out all the things that he did, and he come out uh, a better man, a great man. And, uh, and when, yeah. when I read that bit, I was like, oh my God, I didn't know all that. And I've actually um, just bought the Malcolm X movie, um, which I'm going to watch, and I'm going nice. to read a few books on him because I thought I didn't realize where he'd come from and where he'd started and what he'd done. And then he'd come out after 10 years in prison, which... I, I just didn't know. I assumed he was always, he was yeah, just always one of them intelligent. Yes. One of them. And his entire education. Guys. And he wasn't. Yeah. And it, all, his entire education just came from being in the prison system. And the concept in the book is described as a lifetime versus dead time. 
and it's it it basically describes a um a response to failure failure is natural like everyone fails at something um you have to sort of be prepared I, you know i i need to remember this myself like failure is something that everyone has to do all the time in order to get better you but you um, learn when you fail you don't learn when you win right yeah exactly exactly and um yeah so he used that opportunity to he could have used it to just get worse or to try and set up how he's going to make loads of money when he gets out like another robbery another like heist he can do um he could have tried to rise to the most powerful person in the prison and run the prison because he was machiavellian or whatever but all he did was was read the entire time he was there was, was read which is why the wider debate is uh, is awesome by making me read all the time uh, but it's also a great response to to failure or a setback another person that it really reminded me of was alexander solzhenitsyn who um wrote the gulag archipelago um he was a uh, he was a, an, an intellectual guy anyway. He was educated, but he was in the Soviet army in World War II. He was a commander of an artillery um, unit. Um, and after World War II, Stalin, talking about ego, was, because of his crazy inflated ego, was extremely paranoid about everything. And a load of soldiers returning from the front line with perhaps not a lot of jobs to go into and combat experience, loads of connections with other soldiers, he was really worried that there would be an uprising in Russia. Um, so he basically used any excuse he could to get rid of those soldiers and he put them in prison camps, uh, which were called gulags. And they were, um, the archipelago was a set of islands. So all the island chains around the sort of northern part of Russia and Ukraine were, were um, gulags, these prisons, um, working prison camps. Solzhenitsyn wrote a letter when he was in the military that criticized the way that Stalin was leading the military. And because of that, he got chucked into one of these prison camps for eight years. Um, so he's doing forced labor in this gulag. He could have very easily just been like, why me? Like, why has this happened to me? Yeah, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. This is terrible. Like I was doing pretty good. I'm an educated guy. I, I led this this unit in the military i have you know credentials in the military and i survived the war like this most hideous horrible war especially the russians they lost more men than anyone so you know he that's pretty crushing for someone you think you're going to go back see your family spend the rest of your life you must have been planning the entire war no you get chucked into a into a forced labor camp so what he did instead of just feeling sorry for himself is that he decided that he would document his time in the camp and the experiences of his fellow prisoners but he didn't have any like malcolm x he he didn't have books and he didn't have anything to write down on because he was a prisoner in a very very strict working camp system he they wasn't given that opportunity so he used his photographic memory for eight years to write the first volume of the Gulag Archipelago, the book that he eventually published, in his head. He literally remembered it. He would just walk around saying it to himself, I would assume, and wow. remembering stories that other people had told him and experiences. And he created the, the book in his head whilst he was interned in this prison camp. Um, and when he. So, what's the book about? It's about all of the things that happened in, in these camps, like why they were set up, where they are. Um, 
yeah, and all of these like uh, it's yeah, basically why Stalin did it, why it's so um, stupid. Because you got to remember at the time, people outside of the Soviet Union didn't know anything that was happening within the Soviet Union because of the Iron Curtain. So it was a real like there was lots of revelations being made about the inner runnings of of the government. And what they were doing to their people, they were terror. They basically were like terrorists to their own people to make them not speak up against the government or try and do any uprisings or anything like that. Uh, so by putting him in jail, what that what the Soviet government had actually done is created within this man who wasn't he was a dissident, like he didn't like the government. He probably would have written books or uh, letters saying how much he didn't like them but because they put him in this prison camp eventually in the 70s it gets published in paris the soviets find out about it um solzhenitsyn has been released um they exile him they kick him out of the country um and eventually that book trickles it's only allowed in the west it's obviously banned in the soviet union but it trickles into the soviet union people start getting copies of it and um it leads to the eventual downfall of it, where it helps, it contributes to the eventual downfall of the Soviet Union. Um, wow. Which I think is just fascinating. It's amazing. Really, really interesting. Um, yeah, and all of it from his own memory. I loved it. And he did that um, during dead time, whereas most people would, would crumble and let yes, their mind most, be taken up with grief. And he's yeah, like, he'd be wow, like, oh my God, I failed. Uh, I'll pop this on the thing because um, Alex has provided a good quote. Um, uh, Hitchens quote. I love this quote. Um, so he could have said, why me, when he was in the situation. So uh, Hitchens says, to the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely bothers to reply, why not? Um, and uh, Life isn't fair? Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Yeah. It just isn't. Um, There's the yeah, answer in it. Life isn't fair. Yeah. Um, and, and if you believe that life is fair, you're running on a, on a, on a broken belief and you're going to disappoint yourself very badly. Um, yep. I appreciate what you've got going right now because if the shit goes bad like it's used to be, shit, you, you're going to have to stop being a soft ass. So, yeah. I mean, we had a book that we did the other week where, where so I wrote down two questions at the end here that I'm going to put on screen. And one of them says, nice. why would you not recommend this book? And the other one says, why would you recommend this book? I don't think we need the why would you not recommend this book as a question for this book this week. So, But but I just put it there for future weeks just in case we get another okay. one like uh, Wired for Story, which I thought was boring um yeah why would you recommend this book who would you recommend this book for and why I, i'm trying to think of uh people i wouldn't recommend this book to um <laughs> first but i know i will get on to why i would recommend it um and this is probably why it's a double-edged thing the this book will, will probably kick your ass like it kicked my ass pretty bad like there were yeah. chapters where i was like oh he's really telling me off like i am it felt like he was accusing me of things and it wasn't necessarily written in an accusatory way it was just the way i was interpreting it because he was attacking my ego he was he was telling me what i was doing wrong and he's only 35 as well it's it's crazy yeah his story is is crazy i'd recommend anyone Get look this. it up ryan yeah, holiday sorry. interesting guy but it, it kicked my ass and and it you could i think someone if you're not prepared to be a student or if you don't want to accept change if you don't think that you know if your ego is super powered and in charge of your life you're going to want to probably put this down because you're going to feel attacked um and there's a quote at the start of the book um 
and it it kind of it goes along the lines of that the first step towards virtue is understanding and the second step is courage and i think that that's something you need to remember when you're reading this is like if i understand that i'm doing something wrong then that's fine i can't change it. it's happened in the past it's gone but now i understand it i have to be courageous enough to see it and change it in my in my life um and i think that that's the main thing that would hold someone back i think from enjoying this book is that they would feel kind of attacked by what's inside it um but that's what makes it brilliant and that is why i recommend it to everyone everyone and not just for one read through i think this is something because of the way it's it's set up you can read it if you're aspiring to be great. You can read it if you're a successful person already, and you can read it when you have hit rock bottom. And it would apply in every single one of those instances. Uh, and I think that that's, yeah, I think that that's why it's so applicable and why I would recommend anyone to read it uh, and to read it regularly. Actually, it's not very long. You can you can blitz through it pretty fast. I got through this faster than any of the other books. I did, but but that's because I I couldn't put it. I'd said to you before last week's podcast, I picked it up because I got in from doing like last night. I was here till one o'clock in the morning doing a webinar, right? But the week before, I was there till half ten. I got home, everyone was asleep in my house, and I was like, I'll pick it up and have a look, a few flick through, see what's going on. And I read forty percent of the book um, on on my Kindle before I even yeah. went to sleep. I was like, Why wow, do you think that was? Because it's it's written with a lot of stories and it's interesting and it's that's what Wired for Story was missing stories. It was like, yeah. it was a book about story that had no fucking stories. And it was like, well, what, what is wrong with you? Why would you, you write a book about stories that's got no stories? It didn't make sense. This guy's really, I, I love what he's done. I feel though, right, that the people that are driven by ego would never buy this book because they already think they know everything. So I think this book is one of those books that what you need to do is you need to look at people around you, know-it-alls, members of your family, people who you speak to and you think to like, like, like if you try and tell one of your kids something, he's like, I know, I know, I owe it. They think they know everything. I think this is a book that, that you buy for somebody who is driven by ego, right? They might take it as an insult, but if you get them to read it, it will change them. It will change their life and it will improve their life massively. I mean, I've spotted so much about myself that I do not like after reading this book. And I was like, holy shit, I am that person. Um, and I've spotted a lot of people in my life that I don't know how to change them. But I do know that, that that they are driven by ego. In fact, like every decision that ninety nine point nine percent of people in modern society make is based on status, and status kind of is ego. But ego is kind of a a negative side to status. Um, yeah, and, status is like material ego. Yeah. So if, like, if you've got a husband or a wife, it. and you think they think they know everything and they never listen and they don't want to think, buy them this book for Christmas and or, just or tell buy them it for yourself. And recommended. Then, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, buy it for yourself, buy it for highly yourself, recommend so it, and hand it over. Um, yeah, I agree. Ego-driven people won't buy it because they think they already know everything and they think they um, are, are better than most. This, this, like I said earlier, um, is in my top five books. Um, the, the, the one I read years ago called Simplify by Richard Kosh, which changed my life. It changed how I looked at business and it made me so much money that it said it's changed my life in, 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 in a financial and positive way. To the point where I understand, I mean, things like McDonald's created this simple structure to a kitchen so that things could be done so much faster than anywhere else. Um, Ikea created a, a walkthrough where you could build your own so they could knock the prices down because they only have certain streamline. And Simplify was a brilliant book by Richard Koch. Um, the second was was uh, Influence and then Persuasion, both by Robert Caldini or Ke Chialdini or whatever it is. Chialdini. Um, 
yeah, Expert Secrets by Russell Brunson. I think anybody in business needs to read that book. I think it's absolutely brilliant, and I can't wait till we do it on here. But we're going to do .com Secrets first because .com Secrets was his first one and understanding the fundamentals. And then this is there. There, my top five. I think I don't think. Um, I think I think this gets into my top five of, of all time books that that's changed that's awesome. me and influenced me and made me hopefully a better person. Yeah, I look at it in a similar way. Definitely, from from the books that we've read so far, I would definitely say that uh, that this one is the one that stood out to me the most of being, uh, yeah, the it's way I looked at myself. Rich, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's better than yeah, thinking and Atomic mm-hmm. Habits. Yeah, I think Atomic Habits is useful because of the content, uh, the actionable content in it, yep. where it gives you like actual points that you can refer back to and be like, okay, I'm going to do this tactic and this is going to help me, um, which is why I think the chimp paradox is useful as well yep. um, because of that. And I, I also thought that was brilliant. Um, yeah, so it's like actionable. Yeah, what were you going to say? Since reading Chimp Paradox, um, I, I, keep, I always say it to my missus because whenever my missus gets mad now, I'm like, stop getting emotional. Stop letting your emotions drive you. Yeah, and she's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and she gets dead mad at me and I'm like, stop letting your emotions. I'll talk to you when you calm down and you start thinking logical and, and she gets dead mad at me. And, and I found myself doing that with a lot of people when, when I'm about to get emotional now, I don't snap. And when someone else is about to get emotional, I tell them. You, you, your emotions are carrying you letting your emotions drive you think about it first before we talk and i've said it to a few people yeah. and it's, but more than anyone i've said it to my missus and then when and she gets even madder at me but that chimp paradox as as yeah re, re, with yeah. regards to conflict and yeah it's big good parties it's good it's, it's, it's brilliant it is yeah I, I keep thinking to myself like oh i'm chimping out like i'm yeah. I'm, I'm going full chimp mode here uh and and it, and it helps it does help although again it's part of it they mention it. I think they do mention it in Atomic Habits. I'm not sure if they talk about it in this book. That kind of quote I just said about understanding being like, you know, the first step towards virtue is if you see something in yourself that you don't like because you've discovered it through reading something like The Chimp Paradox or um, Atomic Habits or Ego is the Enemy, any of the books that we've really looked at, and you're like, I, I, I hate this about myself. The worst thing that you can do is is um, just sit there and 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 catastrophize about how how bad you are and how you've messed up because like you know is that a real word or did you just make that word up catastrophize yeah did you just make a word up it's a real word that's a real <laughs> word i think <laughs> it's an english teacher i, I don't it's, know it might be a real word i don't know catastrophize yeah yeah catastrophizing yeah. to catastrophize is to think about all the things that could possibly go wrong um <laughs> i, I catastrophize <laughs> when you <laughs> when you told me to make a website on on wordpress i catastrophized and was like everything's gonna go wrong i hate wordpress it doesn't work blah 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 blah. i had all the excuses in the world but what i should have done is just gone yeah i just need to do the work and, and you, i should have you yeah. there you're there with it now. yeah it's, it's, it's looking pretty pretty slick if so i say so myself i'm super excited about the next one of these and we've got to wait a couple of weeks guys because Callum yes. uh, is going on a well-deserved holiday i'm indeed um but have you got the book i will grab it from my very blurry bookshelf right now Okay. It is so, this one right here. Know, this is the next book we're going to do. This is, is is another one of my top five all-time favorites. I've already read it three times, and I'm going to read it two more times before we do this next. However, we are not on again until what's the date? Do you know? That's a good question. Um, yeah, what is the date doing this? I think if we go to the YouTube channel... It will probably tell us. Yeah. Um, 
19th. 19th of? Next month, May. Yeah, 19th of May. So we're not in for a couple of weeks now, but we but show that book from the side. Uh, yeah, the other yeah. side. This gives the reason we've picked this book now is because Callum's going on holiday, um, and it takes a while to read. It's a big book. Yeah. Um, it's it's life changing. I mean, if you're struggling to pick up partners, this will help. If you're struggling to do anything in business, this will help. If you're struggling to sell anything, this will help. This next book that we're doing next, Influence: The Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Caldini. It there's only seven things you need to learn. In fact, it's the seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've actually got. A laminated thing on my wall up there that says persuasion above it, and then it says reciprocity, scarcity, authority, uh, consistency, liking. I can't read the bottom one, but I think one's unity, and I should know uh, consensus that. and consensus, unity. Consensus, that's the one, yes. It's um, on the bookmark. Okay. Oh, yeah, look, that's my bookmark that I've created for my presentations. But I have... Yeah, I, rob I robbed it of you. I've been using it in ego. Turn it around as well. I've got, I've got on the other side, These are, this is the sort of crazy shit I do. So that's a webinar structure on there. Yeah. You can't see it. And then that one is it's persuasion. All the of persuasion. And that's all of the steps of persuasion. And then at the bottom is my own uh, persuasive story structure. That is how sad I am. I create bookmarks from all the shit I've learned that sticks in my mind that I never want to lose. Um, no as way. a little tactic for you. <laughs> Anyone out there wants yeah. to, yeah, yeah. In fact, steal a video thunder. I have things like that on my desk as well. So that's Jason Fladlian's webinar formula. On the back of it is the Epiphany Bridge story script from Russell Brunson, and then next to this over here, I have got the Epiphany Bridge story script from that one. But if you turn it around, it's got the perfect webinar from Russell Brunson on it, and Amazing. they stay on my desk all the time. So if I'm ever writing a webinar, I look down and I can see there's a brief step there, and all, oh, there's three of them. That look like this set out next to each other on my desk that's, so that's definitely better than what i've got i have a, an extremely motivational quote from uh from lauren in the office which reads the sky is your oyster <laughs> <laughs> she told me about that and i was like there's so one that's funny. really big and there's one that makes things it doesn't make sense to me like the world is your oyster makes the world small <laughs> the yeah sky just... is and, and, yeah. I just think it's terrifying, like a sci-fi movie. The sky is your oyster. Just, just a massive oyster in the sky. Right. Terrifying. So, guys, we are going to start on Influence next. I hope a few of you guys buy it and join in with us and get involved. Do or don't. It's cool. We are working on the wider debate. Yeah, they probably won't if they see that. We're working on the wider debate website, which will hopefully be up next week. Uh, we have wider debate jumpers now. We have a logo we have an intro to the video which we'll change a little bit but we've got an intro looking very flash yeah man we, we, we're actually i'm enjoying doing this it's cool yeah this is great fun um, so we will see you in a couple of weeks 19th of may did you just say yeah yeah 19th i think we're back right so we'll plenty of time influence. to read this massive book and if you can't read it then maybe look at some key points online um blinkist it audio book it do what you gotta do um because you've just said this one is going to be pretty insane. Um, a bit of a uh, life-changing one. And with loads of actionable things in it, which is something I'm really looking forward to, getting some actionable stuff that I can do. Um, well, we if we aim to write a few questions about each section of it that we can answer on the podcast, I think that will uh, help a lot. Brilliant. So and I'll try and, I'll try and do some of the actionable points whilst I'm, whilst I'm reading about it when I'm on holiday. See if I can get some, some people to buy me drinks. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
You'd come back with two black eyes and you'd be sat there like, this doesn't work. <laughs> no, yeah, but my, yeah, neither does my jujitsu, apparently, if I come back with black eyes. <laughs> this was off a woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you should have seen, you should have seen the other person. I, I hit them with the book and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate, that's going to make your bag super heavy. So at least you'll come back with a six pack. Yeah. <laughs> Carrying that about. Right. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Uh, thank you, Callum. And we will see you all in a few weeks. Thank you yeah, very cheers, much. Cheers, guys. Cheers. See you later. Bye-bye.